Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I'm excited to be studying with you the fourth chapter of, a, of the book of Ephesians. And I'm telling you, instead of just uh, beating around the bush and uh, him hawing around, let's go and get started. As you know, we've changed up our format. We are going to just go verse by verse from the very beginning. We're not going to read the whole entire thing and then go back. So we're going to go ahead and start with verse 1. Therefore I, talking about, this is Paul here, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. That, that means encourage you, beseech you. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Okay, let's, gonna, let's just stop there for just a minute. We know that we are unworthy to be walking with God, but God has called us to live holy, righteous lives, and that must be our passion and our goal. To be walking in a manner worthy of the calling. You know, God says, be holy for I am holy. That is an impossibly high call. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we daily ought to be conforming to Christ's image. And that is sanctification, my friends. And sanctification is not a sprint, it's a marathon. But every day we should be pursuing the heart of Christ. Pursuing Him, how? Through the opening up of the scripture and reading it and studying it. And I'll tell you, Christian or not Christian, you must deny yourself and deny the world in order to read the scripture. It is not natural for us as unbelievers, but those of us who are even believers, because we have that conflict of the sinful nature and our new nature, our new spiritual nature, it's hard for us to open up the scripture sometimes. But we must do that. We are commanded to do that. And that is how we draw closer with God. Now, let's look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, I want to focus on those qualities for just a minute here. Humility. That's a lowliness of mind. That's Philippians 2.3. If you don't remember Philippians 2.3, let's go ahead and turn there real quick. Philippians 2.3. Okay? Because it's one of my favorite verses. And I want to give it its due. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And I'm going to actually jump into verse 4 here. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That's what humility is. So with that, with all humility and gentleness, what's gentleness? It's considerate. It's mildness. People are not people should not be intimidated by us. We should be approachable. We should be so gracious that people feel like they can tell us anything. Yet what what does the world tell us to be like? You gotta be tough. You gotta be a hard guy. You gotta get that respect. You need people to fear you. That's not what that's not what life's all about. Why would you want to be around people like that? I'm going to share something with you real quick about gentleness here uh, and patience. Let's go to patience real quick. With patience, that means long-suffering. It's the waiting to insufficiency, the time before anger shows up. 
So that's, that's, uh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Tolerance here is enduring patient with those in the faith because God's great patience for us. We need to treat others how God treats us. And, you know, this is why we need to be humble, patient, gentle, tolerant, because of love. Because there it is, showing tolerance for one another in love, with all humility in love, and gentleness in love, with patience in love, tolerance for one another in love. It's all in love. I have to share the story with you. I know I said it just a little a little bit ago, but I'm going to share it with you now. I went to the Steelers-Chiefs game several weeks ago. I haven't shared this story with you all because it was an epic beatdown, and I drove several hours to get there with my brother and my son because we're all Steelers fans. In enemy territory, I may add. And we got down to the field Pretty close to it, actually. We got to see the players and my son and myself and my brother. We were all like, ooh and awing. It's so cool. It's a cool atmosphere. We get up to our spots, which was not downfield, but it was really, really high up the from the stadium. And so as we were sitting there, there was no one in front of us. Like, oh, man, we're going to have a lot of leg room. It's going to be great. And, yep, you guessed it. A bunch of drunks showed up. And, man... They were just throwing out the middle finger. They were vulgar. Um, they were acting very ignorant and foolish. And that's just putting it politely. And every time the Chiefs scored, man, they just rubbed it in our faces and they said stuff to my son, which that part I had a little bit of trouble with patience. But I never responded to them in anger. I never responded to them sarcastically or spiteful or, or out of any type of rage I was feeling. But I was trying to show my son how a Christian is supposed to act towards people who are belligerent, rude, and obnoxious, even when I don't feel like it. Because think of this, I had, I had to think of this way. And this is what we talked about in verse one. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Could you imagine for a minute if I just lost my temper right away and just nailed that guy in the face and we got in a huge brawl and you know we, we all get locked up? That'd be great, wouldn't it? And what do you do? Oh, I'm a I'm a school teacher and I'm a youth pastor, and uh yeah, I'm I'm doing uh seminary classes and I do a podcast and all that kind of stuff. Boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it? But no, it's 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 all that stuff pales in comparison. Why? Because I'm supposed to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of him. That's not how he reacted, did it? No. That's not how he acted at all. Because going back to Philippians 2, listen to this, verse 5. Having have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he did not retaliate. He was humble. On the cross, he said, God forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I even fist bumped and high fived him. I told him, Hey, that was a good throw. Nice touchdown. You guys have a great team. I never once responded in anger. Now, did I respond in anger in my mind? Um, trying to think about it soberly. Uh, no, not really. Honestly, not really. And so here's the thing. 
I don't attribute that to my own strength. That is all work of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? This is really cool. After those couple of those people left, some friends of theirs turned around to us and said, hey, I'm really sorry about that. I said, that's okay. That's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. They're just obnoxious. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad at them if you hit them. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's, it's, that's not what we do. That's fine. And then I had another person say that to me too. And then I met some fans that were really cool. So it was, it was a good experience all around. But no matter where we are, we always walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with humility. I didn't want to be humble. I didn't want to be gentle. I didn't want to be patient. I didn't want to show tolerance. Now, this is talking about fellow believers in, in Christ because this, this whole entire part and I'm not talking about part, I'm talking about chapter four, is talking about unity of the believers and unity of the spirit. But that's what we have to show to the this dead and dying world. That's what it's missing. We have to show that love and tolerance and patience and kindness, the fruits of the spirit. We have to show that to them in love. That's the, that's the kicker there. Verse three, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, being diligent here is fully applying oneself, speedily commitment to accomplish God's will through God's in-birth persuasion. I know that was a lot there, but we have to fully apply ourselves to preserve the unity of the Spirit. We as believers are in union with the Spirit who binds us all together in what? The bond of peace. God's gift of wholeness, peace of mind that no matter what the circumstance is, we will have peace through it all. Verse 4, there is one body, Christ to church. It's his true church. And one spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope. That's, that's Christ's gospel of salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? You were called... In one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Remember, always remember that God is far above us. He's far above us all, yet makes himself approachable. Everything is through him and in him, and we will never, never walk alone. He's over us all. He's through all of us, and he's in all of us who believe in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? Each one of us that believe in Jesus Christ, who's, who are true Followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is far beyond what we can comprehend as people that I cannot wait until we get to heaven until we can fully realize the full magnitude of that sacrifice. To what, what it means to be saved. What it means to be fully loved. To be given that grace. Let's look at verse 8 real quick. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also has descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, this verse gets a little bit tricky, so I need you to bear with me here for a second because as we as we explain this, and I don't want to hang out here too long, but there are many people who believe that Jesus Christ actually descended into hell as a punishment. That is not what he's talking about here. That's not what we're talking about at all. 
Jesus' ascension from earth to heaven. That's what it's talking about in verse 9. Okay, so we're in verse 9, verse 10, and we're going to go through this to, to explain this out a little bit because this gets a little bit tricky, like I said before. So verse 9, he ascended. Jesus' ascension from earth to heaven, where he forever reigns with his Father. Now, descended. This is where people get a little bit confused here. This refers to Christ's incarnation when he came down from heaven as a man into the earth of suffering and death, the lower parts of the earth. Because people are like, well, that's hell. That's hell. Descended in lower parts of the earth. That's hell, people. No, it's not. These are in contrast to the highest heavens to which he afterward ascended. The phrase here does not point to a specific place, but to a great depth as it were, of the incarnation, including Christ's descent between his crucifixion and resurrection beyond the earth, the grave, and death into the very pit of the demons, the spirits in prison. Now, it says that he might fill all things. And we read that in verse 10. After the Lord ascended, having fulfilled all prophecies and all his divinely ordained redemptive tasks, he gained the right to rule the church and to give gifts. As he was then fulfilling the entire universe with his divine presence, power, sovereignty, and blessing. So, he gave some. What are we talking about here? As evidenced by his perfect fulfillment of his Father's will, Christ possessed the authority and sovereignty to assign the spiritual gifts to those he had called into service in his church. He gave not only gifts, but gifted men, the apostles. So he's talking about them. Now, here we are. It says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. My friends, we too often get hung up on titles and we get hung up on things of that nature. But the Holy Spirit, with God's power, equips the saints for the work of service. My friends, we're here to serve, okay? It, 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 we could just stop here. We're not going to, but we're here to serve. We're here to serve God and serve people to also the building up of the body of Christ. Well, building up, what are we talking about here, building up? He builds us up for service. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. If we are all producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, if we're doing all those things and we are all like that, could you imagine a whole church that was like that? Let, let's, let's hang out there for just a quick second. Could you imagine... If the whole entire church was filled with people who are spirit-controlled, spirit-led, and here's the other thing, producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, boy, would there be dissensions? Would there be factions? Would there be hurt feelings? No. And let's go over the fruits of the Spirit again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, it says against such things there is no law. Do as much as you want. But are we doing that? But that's how we, the fruits of the Spirit, that's how we attain the unity in the Spirit, in the church. But... Through sanctification, God builds us up for service. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of his stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of deep stuff right here. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to go through it. Unity of faith. Faith here refers to the body of revealed truth that constitutes Christian teaching, particularly featuring the complete content of the gospel. 
Oneness and harmony among believers are possible only when they are built on the foundation of sound doctrine. It's doctrine, 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 people. And that's not popular. We want buzz phrases. We want the flashing lights. We want all these these physical, uh, glittering, sparkling type of things in church. But that's not what the church is. The church is designed for believers to grow closer with Christ, to be built up, to serve, and to be united as one. Now, as we progress here, so until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, let's let's focus on that for just a second. This does not refer to salvation knowledge, but to the deep knowledge of Christ that a believer comes to have through prayer, faithful study of his word, and obedience to his commands. Is that how our lives are right now? And if it's not, we have to really look in the mirror and we have to readjust some things. Now, let's go to the next part. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, the the part I want to focus on more than anything else is the fullness of Christ. God wants every believer to produce the qualities of his son, to be conformed to his image, who is himself the standard for their their and our spiritual maturity and perfection. People, that's the goal. Again, that's the goal is to be like Christ. You used to hear back when Michael Jordan was playing, be like Mike. Well, it's not be like Mike, it's be like Christ. I'm sorry, but Mike is just a man who is really good at sport. And here's the other thing, going back to the the Steelers-Chiefs game I went to. When we were in the car ride going home, of course, we had our tail between our legs. We got whooped. Here's the the reality. I told my son in the car, I said, you know what's interesting is we see these people on TV, and they're made out to be these superstars, and you got – the cinematography and the and the videographers and the lights and the the smoke and the fireworks you know I see all these things but I said son they're just people who are built like brick walls and who can run these defensive linemen can run three times faster than me which is ridiculous and they're they're good at catching a ball throwing a ball you know making people miss I mean trust me I love football though don't get me wrong but they're just people. And nine times out of 10, they're broken people. And the coolest thing that I saw at that game was not a touchdown, not an amazing catch. I did see a lot of those things. I did see uh, my boy Najee Harris stiff arm this dude to the ground. And I'm, and of course, that was the only thing I really got excited about because the rest was terrible. But it wasn't all those things I saw that was amazing. You know what? I got excited the most of is there was a group of about eight Steelers players before the game started, no fanfare, no cameras on them. They were over at the end zone and they were praying before the game. That's what it's all about. But it's eight out of 53 players. That's not a good percentage. And I'm not going to get stuck on the numbers here, but the reality, my friends, is that this path that we are on is is not for the faint of heart. And I wanted to show my son that Christ is more important than football. Have I prayed that the Steelers would win games before? Yes, absolutely. Is that something probably to pray for? Probably not. Um, a lot of times I got the answer. No, that's fine. But I know when I was younger, I used to be highly obsessed with the game. It would literally alter my mood if they lost. Now I know that sounds pathetic and sad. Trust me on that, but that's how I used to be. But now if they lose, you know, that's, that's not my life. That's not what my whole world is wrapped around. It used to be, but not anymore. So we need to be consumed with pursuing the fullness of Christ.
Let's look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Tossed here and there by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now, I have to talk about this for a minute. Spiritually immature people, believers, who are not grounded in the knowledge of Christ through God's word are susceptible to accept every sort of doctrine that's not biblically accurate, biblically true. They're susceptible to error and fallacies. And also, they are susceptible to believe people that teach false doctrine and follow false teachers in these so-called, quote-unquote, churches, which are not true churches. You see it all the time. But those people need to become more mature so they are able to learn discernment and here's what I will say on that. If you're young in the faith, and I'm not talking about age, I'm talking about your level of maturity, you need to surround yourself with those who are wise in the faith, who are the mature, and you disciple for them. And that's one of the things that it's lost in today especially in the in the true the true church is that we've lost the focus of discipling people because we will preach from the pulpit that we need to accept our lord and savior Jesus Christ and we need to put our trust and faith in him and that's absolutely great but what we fail is that when we baptize those people, they just they stay in the pews and we don't disciple them. And that's where the elders come in because they are supposed to be men, the leaders in the church, the overseers, who are supposed to teach them because one of the qualifications of an elder is that they are able to teach. So they need to be teaching classes on discipleship and and it, it, we, it doesn't need to be like a six-month program but it needs to be however long it takes because my friends there is there are people out there who if you are not wise in the faith and you don't have that discernment it could throw you for a loop and that's what happens these these christians who get baptized and they they don't have doctrine to support their their foundation, it could carry them away, just like we talked about, by every wind of, of doctrine. We're not talking about true doctrine here, but the trickery of men. I had I had a, someone tell me that Satan in the garden was not actually Satan, it was a demon. I had a, someone tell me that the Bible was written by white people, that Jesus was white and all these things like that. And um, I'm not going to go any more detail than that, but basically it turned into a 45-minute apologetic deal about uh, defending the faith. And, you know, I probably didn't handle that situation the right way because I basically told this person that I've been teaching Bible longer than you've been alive. Um, and so, you know, if you're trying to come at me with, with some things, I, I have, trust me, I have a pretty decent knowledge of, of the word. But my friends, if we don't disciple people and we don't go alongside them and, and show them the truth, then those brothers and sisters could possibly be, like in Galatians 3, they could be bewitched. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want, you remember the parable of the soils? Well, we don't want them to be on that on that path there 
that pathway and Satan comes right and snatches it up. We don't want them to be on that, that really shallow soil that the, the roots don't go down too deep. And so the sun scorches it and it's, it withers away fast and it's gone. We don't want that to be like that. We want them to be on that good soil. But here's the other thing you probably are wondering, well, Nate, there's another soil you forgot. Yes. that you're absolutely right. There's a soil that it, it grows up, it grows up strong, and then it grows along with weeds. And what happens? It chokes it out. And that's the cares of the world. So we have to be by these people. We have to be discipling them. And I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it, it's so important. It's so important. Because there are people, just like we just read in verse 14, the trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's what's going on. And those are the people who are unbelievers. They're devoid of the spirit whose father is the devil. They're schemers. They're deceivers. They're tricking people because they don't have Christ. And they and they're, they work like the, their father does, the devil, to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's look at verse 15, though. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Christ is the head. And what are we doing? We speak the truth in love. Ah, now, one thing I've been seeing, and this is a horribly horrible trend, and this talk about deception. I keep seeing these people wear these shirts and 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 having slogans like speak your own truth. Let me just stop you right there. We do not, in our hearts, have the capacity for truth. I know what you're thinking. Well, I can, I can speak true things. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that's why I love this verse so much. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He is not a truth. He is the truth. And John 17, 17, Jesus says, God, your word is truth. That's what he's saying. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is the truth. Jesus is the truth. God the Father is the truth, and the and the Holy Spirit is the truth. But we speak the, the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him. We grow, we grow into him. And he's right there alongside us. Remember, in him, in him, with him, with him. His teachings on while on earth and his further teachings through the apostles. That's what we're supposed to grow up in. And that's where discipleship comes in. That's where studying on our own comes in. And Christ is the only head of the church. And we forget that. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, again, talking about the church here, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, we're going to focus on these few verses here for a few minutes. But Christ is in all and through him, we are able to remain united in him. Christ holds all of us together so that we can be of service to him, which in turn enables us to grow in spiritual maturity, conforming to the image of Christ. That Remember, it's the goal. That's the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Again, if we are all disciples, we are all obeying God's will in our spirit-controlled, spirit-led, we are able to be productive within the body. We all, as body, bodies of believers, as each of one of us are members of his body, we all have a significant role to play. Do we all have the same role? Absolutely not. We all have different roles. But if we're all together, united in Christ, fulfilling our roles, our duties, our jobs, if you will, in Christ, in the body of Christ, what happens? If the properly working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, the church, in love. That's... You know what? That's what we do. 
we don't we don't work and we don't put our talents on display for our own personal gain and glory. We all do it because of what? At the end of verse 16, what does it say? In love. We don't do it for our personal glory. We do it because we love Christ and we want to glorify and honor him in all that we say and do. That's that's the truth. Now, these next few verses, 17 through the end of the chapter, is going to be talking about the Christian walk. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you know, roll up your sleeves because we're about ready to get in here. Verse 17, so I, I say this, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now, there is a bunch here to go over, and we're going to go through it. Paul, who was spirit-filled or spirit-controlled or spirit-led and chosen by God, he and God were on the same page. He's affirming this together with the Lord that you, talking about believers here, no longer walk or walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Now, what does this mean? Because of a believer's high calling of God, we are no longer to walk or live. Walking is, is another way of saying living like. So you can read it this way. That you live no longer just as the Gentiles also live. We don't walk like the ungodly. We don't live like the ungodly. We are not controlled by our, our lustful passions. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We don't live like that. The unbeliever's mind has the capacity for intelligence. But, this is talking about the futility of their mind here. They have the capacity for intelligence, but they use it unproductively. Without the Spirit giving the mind of Christ, mankind, people as a whole, cannot please God. You can't. Matter of fact, I'm going to take you to Romans 8. Because I had a conversation with someone in church just recently about this. People cannot understand Scripture if you do not have the Holy Spirit. That is a fact. Now, let's look at Romans 8, and we're going to start in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet it, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, here is the other thing. So if you don't have the Spirit, what happens? You do not belong to Christ. But this is the kicker. Go back. Let's go back two verses. Let's go back two verses. Now, you know, let's let's make it crazy. Let's go a little crazy. Let's go back three verses. Listen to this. Verse five. So we'll do five, six, and seven. And then we'll also do eight. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, capital S, the things of the spirit for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. You've heard me say that before, but listen to this because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. Are you hearing that? No, we, and I'm talking about we as believers, I'm talking about put myself in the unbeliever category for a second. Those unbelievers have no capacity to what? What did we just read? We have no capacity to please God, to love God, to serve God. It's not able to do that. You are not able to subject yourself to submit to God on your own. 
Verse 8, this is the clincher. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't do it. I don't care what you say. It's You can argue with, with me all you want. That's fine. But you cannot argue with Scripture. It's right there. It's clear as crystal. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living within you, you do not have Christ. If you do not have the Holy Spirit within you, you cannot please God. It's that simple. It is that simple. Now, when we believe in Christ, when we have the Holy Spirit living within us, does that mean that the fleshly nature goes away entirely? Absolutely not, because Romans 7, 14 through 25, clearly, clearly shows the conflict of two natures. Clearly. But because of that, we have to have a transformed mind, a new nature, the new man, in which our minds are transformed now. We don't think like that anymore. We no longer walk that way. We don't live as godless pagans who are like wild beasts. We just lust after things and we just go for it without even thinking about anything. Now we have the mind of Christ. Now listen to that verse 18 here. Being darkened in their understanding. This still talking about the Gentiles. and not, We're not talking about Gentiles who believe. We're talking about Gentiles in general who do not have God. People who do not have God at all. Being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have Christ Jesus as your Lord, Master, and Savior, you are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Wow. When I hear the hardness of the heart, you know what that makes me think of right now? Ezekiel 36. We've been there so many times. But if you don't have the Spirit of Christ living within you, if you don't have Christ as your Lord, Master, and Savior, you have a hardened heart. And what does that mean? Everything that's in the Word, it just, it's like if you throw a little pebble at a big, a big stone, what happens? Bounces right off, right? Well, God's heart from His Word cannot penetrate your hardened heart. That's what happens with sin, my friends. Remember what we talked about? Sin is so powerful that it separates you and God. That's how powerful it is. That sin hardens that heart of, of stone. It hardens even more. And listen, verse 19, here it comes. And they, still talking about people who don't have Christ, having become callous, now listen to this, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Now, these four verses, 17, 18, 19, I, I want to say 20, but 16, 17, 18, and 19. Man, I'll tell you what, that's hopelessness, people. What stands out to me is excluded from the life of God. Because of ignorance, the hardness of their heart, the dark and understanding, the futility of their mind. We have no capacity on our own, outside of Christ, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have to be drawn by God to Christ, John 6.44. We have to hear the word of Christ, Romans 10.17. We have to hear it. Romans 10, 14. But we don't walk that way. We don't walk in futility of mind. We don't, we don't walk or live with darkened understanding because the Spirit illumines our understanding of Christ, His Word, how to live a life of God and we are not excluded we are included because of Christ. We don't walk in ignorance. We walk in the knowledge of Christ and how he lives and how he wants us to be. And we don't walk around with a hardness of heart. 
we walk with that heart of flesh, receptive to what God has to say, receptive to his commands and to obey them. Our hearts are not callous anymore. And we haven't given ourselves over to sensuality, but we have given ourselves over to Christ completely. He is our life. Remember Colossians 3, 4? When Christ, who is our life, we give ourselves over to him. And we don't practice impurity. We practice purity and generosity and thankfulness. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. No, we did not. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Did you hear that? Just as truth is in Jesus. Say that with me. You may be in the car. You may be listening to this at work. I want you to say it with me right now. Just as truth is in Jesus. You learn it. And you heard it. You're taught it. That's the characteristics of the new birth. Okay? There it is. That's the characteristics. We were, we heard the word. We were taught the word. We learned the word. And you know what? That's how we learn about Christ. Now, let's look at verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit. My friends, the former manner of life, does that old man creep back in? Absolutely he does. Does that old woman? Now we're not talking about elderly people here. We're talking about the old way we used to be. Do those people come back? Absolutely they do. Yep. Yes, they do. But you lay aside the old self. This is what Christ meant when he said we need to take up our cross daily. When you wake up in the morning, God willing, the first thing that you should do is pray. The first thing I need to do is pray. Thanking God for another day. Thank you, God, that you opened my eyes Thank you, God, that my heart is still beating. Thank you, God, that I have breath in my lungs. And thank you, God, for being the God of the universe, the God of my life, the God who saved my life. And here's the other thing, too. I pray that you help me die to myself so that you may live through me. Which is because what's happening, the old self is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit. This world is full of deception, and it's easy to get entangled into, and it's and it's easy to think that this stuff is normal, and it's not normal. It's corrupted, it's corroded, it's vile, it's evil, it's it damns you to a to a eternal hell that is separate from all that is good and holy and righteous. Verse twenty three, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like Romans 12. Let's go there. Romans 12. Romans 12. It says here in verse 2. So Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to renew our minds. We have to renew our minds. And that's what it's saying in verse 23 in Ephesians 4. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Salvation involves the mind. When a person becomes a Christian, God gives them a completely new spiritual and moral capability that a mind of this world cannot achieve on its own. Verse 24 says, and put on the new self. That's the transformed 
from old to new self, Galatians 2.20, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Christians' moral responsibilities to men reflecting the second portion of the Ten Commandments. You can find those in Exodus 20, 12 through 17. And the Christian's responsibility to God is righteousness and holiness and truth. But our new self is like God in righteousness and holiness, but it's it's created in those things. That's the Holy Spirit working. Verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. There's some heavy stuff here. Laying aside falsehood, lying, cheating, false promises. All those things, all forms of those things, lay those aside. Get them out of there. Speak the truth. Christ. What's in Scripture? Each one of you to his neighbor, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. If you are in the body of Christ, we are members of one another. We are family. We all make up the body. Verse 26 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, this angry part, a lot of a lot of people have some anger problems nowadays. And I'm going to use another illustration from our wonderful game we went to where we got destroyed. Did I mention that? We got smoked like a turkey. <laughs> um, but at this game, the first thing that ever happened to us as we were driving up this big old white truck came pull up next to us. This guy was yelling at the top of his lungs. We had our windows down. And he was yelling at the top of his lungs. And he goes, he was just throwing out F-bombs and this, this, and that. And here's the thing. You know what's really pathetic and sad? Is that people don't care if you have kids around anymore. Man, they're just going to talk whatever they want. This guy was so angry. His face was beat red. He was an older guy. And I'm just like, yeah, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear about that. He goes, all right, then. He just took off, but he was still throwing out profanities. And that's not the anger we're talking about here. Be angry, yet do not sin. We're talking about righteous anger against sin, ungodliness, and injustice. That's righteous anger. Anything else is, is sinful anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You heard that being said before, especially with marriages. Righteous anger, if left to fester can result in bitterness and hostility, though. You got to be careful with that. There are times where people make you upset, and, and it's okay to be angry. But you don't you don't dwell on that. You don't hang out there. Verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. That's There it is. That's right there. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He's always looking for an opportunity, people. He's like a, like a roaming lion waiting to devour people. You got to be careful. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Now, are you, are you seeing the pattern here? Uh, now, we're talking about, again, let's, let's, let's halt here for just a quick second. 17 through the end of the chapter is talking about the, the walk of a believer and how we're supposed to live. And... This is the, these are the things we're supposed to give up. These are the things we're supposed to be like. So if, if we're going to go back here for just a quick second and looking back here in my notes, so just so we can break this down here for just just a little more intimately. So if you lie, lie no longer. If you used to walk in ignorance, you'd be ignorant no no longer. The former ways you used to live are completely gone. You cease to be. Your old self is completely cut off. You are not controlled by the lust of deceit. Now, you have to lay, lay aside falsehood, lying. Uh, if you're going to be angry, it better be righteous anger. If you steal, you steal no longer. It, it doesn't get any more crystal clear than that because there's sometimes 
people think that when they come to Christ that they don't have to do anything. That God's got me and I don't have to, you that <laughs> if you do things that are contrary to what God says, you must give them up. So if you had an issue with stealing, it says it right here. He who steals must steal no longer. Remember Zacchaeus? He was stealing from people in different ways. He stole from people. But when he was converted, when he encountered Christ, what happened? He gave back fourfold, which was way more than he was he was supposed to by law. That's the result of the converted heart. Now, does it mean that we have to give everything we have to the poor and be poor ourselves? No. But if we steal, we steal no longer. Then what do we do? We must we must labor, which means we must rise and grind, people. We got to work the right way. Performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. That's, that's what we do. Christians should work and then look to help for the good of others. Always having a spirit of helpfulness. Now, this is the hard part, people. Listen to this. This is where it gets a little dicey. We just talked about anger. Do you have problems with anger? Do you have a problem with lying, falsehood? Do you have a problem with stealing? Okay. This is one we all struggle with. I don't care who you are. Listen to this. This is where, this is where the ouch comes in. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Foul, rotten language, dirty jokes, inappropriate jokes, even though you really don't mean it. All that is bad. Any unwholesome talk, sissy cussing, cussing, racist jokes, all those things are not okay. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification. What does edification mean? It's instructive. It's encouraging. It's uplifting and suited for the moment. Have you ever been around someone that tears people down every chance they get? When they say something, they have something smart to say. I mean, you've been around those people. But be the opposite of that. And that is so contrary to our nature, isn't it? It is. But if we're going to speak only such a word as is good for edification, encourage people, wait for the, it says also suited for the moment. According to the need of the moment, always look for opportunities to speak for life-giving healing words so that it will give grace uh -oh, to those who hear. When you speak, are you giving grace to those who hear? And not just the people you talk to, but the people who are listening. People are listening to you. And by the way, if you are a Christian and you're in the workforce, the workplace, wherever it is you are, and they and you have identified yourself as a Christian, which you need to do that. If you haven't done that, you need to make it known. You don't go, you know, smashing through the doors in 2022 and saying, all right, everybody, I'm a Christian. I want everybody to know it. No, but you need to, you need to make it known. Okay. And when you do that, you have a bullseye on your back. You have eyes watching you and all ears are listening into every word that you're saying. And if you recall how this all started in verse one of chapter four, the Lord implores us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. People are watching you. They're listening. Be really careful. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't get angry. It's hard, isn't it? Especially when people mistreat you, trash talk you, lie about you, put you down. But we speak with words, with grace, seasoned with salt. Remember Colossians, which is good for edification and need of the moment. So that they give grace to those who hear. Doesn't that make you feel good? Listen to verse 30. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get, we we tend to focus on the word spirit because all this stuff nowadays is focused on like ghost hunting and paranormal stuff. But the Holy Spirit is an actual person. Do you know that? He's a person in which he can be grieved. And it grieves the Holy Spirit when his children refuse to change their old ways of sin for the ways of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By all those things we just read of do not doing, but do this instead. If we do the things that we're not supposed to do, that grieves the Holy Spirit because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit in the day of redemption. We just read it in Romans 8, but I'm going to go back there because we we read it and I, I want to focus on this real quick because it says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of eternal redemption in Christ for those who believe in him. And we just read this, but I'm going to read it one more time. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, spirit, Holy Spirit, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you see the parallel there? We are sealed. Now, listen to this. This is this is the last two verses here. Verse 31. Let all, 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 all. Do you hear that? All. Bitterness. Smoldering res resentment. That's what that means. Let that smoldering resentment, bitterness, and wrath. We're talking about rage and anger, deep internal hostility and clamor, strife out of control, and slander, evil speaking. Be put away from you. Put it away. Throw it off to the side. It's like taking off old, nasty, dirty clothes and throw them off and never put, don't even attempt to clean it because they'll never be clean. Why? Well, let's go back. We have to go back. In verse 22, it says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. It's being corrupted. That's why you put it away. Because bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander is just speeding up the process of that corruption. Put it away from you, along with all malice. That's talking about evil, the root of all vices. So let all those things go. Cast them off. Put it away. Now, let's end on a good note in verse 32. Be kind to one another, benevolent, warm-hearted. So be kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, merciful, forgiving each other. 70 times 7. 70 times 7. How many times do we have to forgive our brother? 7 times? 70 times 7. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So verse 32 and verse 31 are complete opposites. We let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, we let all that stuff go. And what are we supposed to be like? How is the Christian supposed to be? Just like Christ is. Be kind to one another. He was kind to everyone. He was tenderhearted. He looked upon those people. Remember the rich young ruler? Remember him? We remember that that story is found in the book of Luke, but it's also found in Matthew and Mark. And you're probably wondering, well, why are we going there? Because we're talking about how Jesus had compassion. He was tenderhearted and merciful and loving. Listen to this. And this is this blows me away because this is just another piece of the puzzle of the rich young ruler. But this has nothing to do with the rich young ruler. It's what Jesus felt. Listen to verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you still lack. Go and sell you all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
Jesus didn't say that out of spite. He didn't say that as in a demeaning way. He said it with love. And that's who he is, and that's how we need to be. Forgiving each other. I, I used this the last couple of weeks. I'm going to use it again. When Jesus is on the cross, dying in misery, bearing the full wrath of God so that we didn't have to, bearing our all our sins, He becoming sin that, so that we can become righteous before God. And those people who are hurling insults at him. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He forgave them. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If God showed grace, mercy, and forgiveness to us as violators of his perfect law in nature, we ought to forgive others whose sins against us pale in comparison to what we deserve from God's righteous judgment. We need to live out verse 32. There is an outcry of mankind for kindness, but goodness only comes from God. Believers are children of God, and because of that, we must be the good the world says it wants to be. Outside of Christ, this isn't possible. But with Christ in us, we are able to show people God's kindness, His tender-hearted nature, His compassion, His forgiveness, and His love. That is the goal. That is the life of a believer. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my brothers and sisters, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. Until next time. God bless you, my friends.